You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Foundation Radio is brought to you by 10th Ward Barbershop. Serving the historic 10th Ward in downtown Lawrenceville, 10th Ward Barbershop is a full-service barbershop offering quality haircuts, beard trims, and hot shaves. Adam gets his hair and beard trimmed by the owner of the shop, Ryan Kane, and he loves the laser point precision cuts and lineup he provides to him and countless other satisfied customers. But you don't have to take Adam's word for it. WWE superstars Corey Graves and the fiend Bray Wyatt frequent 10th Ward for all their hair and beard trimming needs. Right now, all all cuts and trims are by appointment only. So head over to their website at 10thwardbarbershop.com and book your appointment now with Kane, Jordan, and the rest of the team at 10th Ward Barbershop. That's 10thwardbarbershop.com. And we thank them for supporting the podcast. Welcome to Foundation Radio. My name is Adam Bernard. Thank you so much for joining me again today. My guest needs no introduction, but I'm going to introduce him anyway. He's a friend of the show and a chef from television. You may have seen him straight from Nashville, originally from Delaware, Ruben Donati. Sir, how are you today? Great, man. Straight out the 302, living here in the 307, I think. I don't know what the zip code is down here. Uh, <laughs> I have been living in Airbnb to Airbnb uh, this last seven months. Really? Yeah, I've been doing a long-term Airbnb thing, which I can tell you is a great way to get to know a city. Yeah. Um, so initially my time in Nashville was supposed to be short. Uh-huh. But uh, it got extended a little bit. And we can get into that later. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, for sure. Because uh, I got a, a lot of questions uh, for you in Nashville. And just, you know, I've been down there once. It's a beautiful city. I really enjoyed it. But I, I, I really, like I said, I just, I'm excited to have you on the show. Um, we're wrestling fans together. And you're also a chef. And I love yes. your story. And I can't wait to talk about it here on the program. So let me, I guess we'll start for, for the uninitiated. Tell me about when your love for food and preparing food began. So I've been pretty vocal about that. It's my mom. And so as a kid, you know, cooking was a very big thing in the household. So like we would have like one or two days. It was like big cooking days. My parents both worked. And so Sunday, Saturday is usually like the day where my mom cooked meals for the whole week. And so that was like a day that I was in the kitchen a lot, helping her clean the rice or like you know, picking stuff out or whatever. And um, so my mom's were the first person that really got me into cooking. And then, my grand, my grandmothers were both really amazing chefs, uh, cooks. Uh, and so like, it just kept going, man. And like, uh, I realized at around seventh grade, <laughs> I started watching Iron Chef, like the original Japanese Iron Chef. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, dude. Like the original Japanese Iron Chef. And I remember being like, oh, this is, this is cool. This is yeah. something on a whole nother level. And, uh, yeah, from there just went, I went to vocational school. So I tell people I've been doing it since I was in like eighth grade. since I was like 14. I've been doing this thing. And you just knew right away that that was exactly what you were like. Did you have any other idea that you wanted to do anything else or was it just like, no, I'm pretty much fucking set on this now at this point. 
I was pretty set and I felt like if, if, if it didn't work out, I was going to figure something out pretty quickly because <laughs> I had committed a lot of myself to this. Um, and it's a lot of money and it's a lot of time and culinary school was kind of a, not a rough time, but I felt like there was a lot of people who kind of already had a leg up because they'd already been working and I hadn't been working. And so that, there was a lot of uh, pressure, but I made it, man. Yeah. I, I'm doing it. I was going to say, it's been, it's been amazing to watch your, your star rise over the past, like, you know, couple years. We've known each other, I think, either like pre-pandemic, just shortly before or during the pandemic. Um, you invited me to come on Guys Who Cry podcast, which was a great time. Um, and we'll definitely talk about that a little bit more too. But was there ever a time like when you were starting like cooking that you were hesitant about anything that you were making or was there anything that you were like, you weren't really sure about while you were doing that? Like, was there ever any hesitation or was it always just like, nah, we're doing this. We're going straight for it. Uh, I knew I've always wanted to cook. Um, I think recently I have realized that there could be other options for me in the future, whether that's, you know, obviously we'll talk about this later. Obviously yeah. if there's more TV stuff, if there's more, hosting stuff, you know, I think there's a lot of different avenues I realize, especially because of COVID, funny enough, that yeah. I realized that after cooking, there's so much more I feel like I could I could do. Now, I want to, we can just kind of jump right into that too with, with Chopped. You ended up on the Food yes. Network, which is unbelievable. Yes. And tell Crazy. me, which, I mean, unbelievable, right? Tell me about that journey, how that started, the experience and we can just really pull it apart. Tell me how that began for you. So about two years ago at this point, I was hit up on Instagram. I got a DM from a casting agency and they were like, Hey, we saw your Instagram and we really think you'd be a really good fit for like, you know, we're doing some casting for chop this, that, the other. And so we had a phone call and at that point, it was for the tournament that I was on. And they said, you know, the winner gets uh, a job opportunity with one of the judges. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a cash prize. And I was like, cool, yeah, that sounds great. They're like, so you're open to moving? And I'm like, yes, 100%. Because <laughs> I've been in Delaware my whole life. Right. And for me, I had never really had a reason to leave Delaware. And so I was like, dude, worst case, I go on chop. I make a fool of myself, whatever, right? And so then it happened. I I did, I got through all the interviews. I got through the, the phone interview to the first zoom interview to the second zoom interview. And then it started getting real. They started sending me emails asking me about my chef coat size and like this, that, and the other. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, this is happening. And then, you know, and then flew out to Knoxville, which is where they filmed it. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty incredible. So, I just remember going into it and thinking like, dude, I just want to get past the appetizer round. That's all. I just can't be the first one right. chopped. That is, <laughs> I, that cannot happen. Yeah. And once I made it past that first round, I felt like a lot of pressure was taken off. Mm. And, uh, and if anybody watches it, that first episode, so there's a spoiler alert, obviously. So I won the first episode of the tournament. And the way that the tournament was set up was that there were four episodes that were like qualifiers. And then the fifth one was the finale. And so it just happened to be, so the way they filmed it, mine was actually the last one to be filmed. Oh, okay. 
And it was literally like the day before they filmed the finale. So mm. I had very little turnaround time. I was obviously hyped up on adrenaline. I couldn't sleep. But mine was the first one to air, which I thought was really funny. Interesting. Um, I've always, yeah. I've so, always been curious. I, I've always been curious about how those shows work. Because you see a lot of the baking shows where like, it's just this line, right? The succession line where it's like everything seems like it's in the same day, but obviously it's spread out over the course of time. Like when you say turnaround time, how much time was there between the time you recorded your qualifier to the finale? So the day starts at 6.30. You wake up, you got to get there at seven. You got to get your COVID test. And, you know, and also like they also have like people on standby just in case uh, your, your test comes back positive. Um, but, um, yeah, so you have to go for your COVID test and they gave you like the tour, they put you in the green room and like, yeah, so the day starts at like seven. And then by the time the day is over, like by the time you either get the, the, the last round finishes, it's probably like seven 30 by that point in the, in the afternoon. And then they got to do all of like the talking head portions of it. Right. Right. So it's like, depending on how long you were on the show, it could be anywhere from like 30 minutes of like talking head time to like an hour and a half. Right. So they had to actually cut mine short the first night. Cause I would, they're like, dude, you got to go home and get rest. Cause you got to come back tomorrow. We'll just finish this tomorrow yeah. after you're finished tomorrow. And yeah, when I came back, then <laughs> I remember I got, I remember like after that first round in the finale and all four of those, all four of us are still pretty close. We, we still have a group chat. That's all awesome. the final four that we all talk. And um, I remember that first round. I remember after hearing all of the comments, I was like, you know, I'd be okay if I got chopped right now. <laughs> I just kind of want to go home and sleep. <laughs> just really want to go to bed, guys. I'm really exhausted yeah. right now. It's crazy. And, yeah. and I know you, you'd kind of mentioned this a little bit, but just because I want to kind of get into the head of someone who has been in this sort of high stress environment about the appetizer round and like, I don't want to get cut and I want to be here. Like in that moment while you're cooking, like, are you focused on like the potential of being eliminated? Or are you just like, no, I just got to get through this and get this done. Like, it's just, it's just, are you hyper-focused? Like, is it tunnel vision? What's that experience like? Yeah, honestly, I feel like when you watch, when you watch that show, for me, I got very hyper-focused. Mm -hmm. uh, so for me, once that timer started, I knew that like whatever my first idea was, I had to follow through with it. Cause there was, there's like that first round is 20 minutes and it's actually 20 minutes. Like there's, that isn't dramatized at all. So it's, it's literally pillar to post. It's 20 minutes. Yeah. Wow. So once that timer starts, it's, that's all the time you have. When they say time's up, put your hands up. Like that's for real. Wow. Like there's no like, Hey, start over, do, do, do this again. Like whatever happens during that 20 minutes happens. Uh, that's like one of the most, Frequently asked questions, actually, about the show. Is, <laughs> is it, it the timer is real? Minutes? Yeah. Well, they edit yeah. it. I mean, I, I, you can see they edit it in a way where it's like, oh, you know, the, the drama, they have to actually dramatize it. But I mean, I can't imagine it's as dramatic in that moment when they're yeah. counting down, right? It's probably, you're probably like almost completely yeah. finished at that point, right? Just putting the yeah. accoutrement on the yeah. top at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Just garnishing it and finishing off my plates. Um, there were some people that, like, if you watch the first episode I was in, God bless him, Jay. I felt so bad for how they portrayed him because they portrayed him as like a bull in a china shop. Oh. And he was a big dude. He was very excited. I think he was very excited to be on. I think he was just young and nervous. And um, 
man, the way they portrayed him, I remember being terrified. Cause I was like, I hope they don't make me look like this, you know? <laughs> and like, Jay's amazing. He's an amazing chef. Yeah. And like super talented, worked with some really great people and not at all how I think he should have been portrayed in my opinion. But. Oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. I, 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 yeah. I've heard, I've heard of, of some, not horror stories, but I've heard of people having complaints about how they're portrayed. I mean, I was, I did a, it wasn't obviously as, as amazing as chopped, but I did a, a spot at one point on travel channel for like a haunted house. And I remember being like, that is not at all what I fucking said. They made me say this shit, right? Like I'm telling them stuff and they're like, no, you should actually say uh, whatever it was. And I'm like, uh, I don't really feel like that though. No, 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 say it. And I'm, so that's what ends up on TV. I'm like, wait yeah. a second. That's not, it's not at all how this went. Well, and like, they did. Oh, they did their hardest <laughs> to try to like go into like talking trash about our, our competitors. Oh, like man. during those talking head parts, they would be like, oh, uh, how did you feel about this person in that moment? Like when you looked over at their dish, like what were you thinking? And they want me to say like, Oh, I knew I had it in the bag, you know, but I'm <laughs> never that confident of a guy. I never. Well, also you don't want to come off like a dick, right? Like you don't want to be an asshole to somebody. Right? Like an asshole. Yeah. Right. And that's like, yeah. I don't know. You, it's, it's an, there's an integrity thing. And I just, I felt like that whole experience, I can relate to that in a, in a roundabout way. Cause it's like, they're just feeding you that shit. And I, I don't know. I, it was, it was fun. Like it was cool to have like these big fucking cameras staring at me the whole time. But like, I don't know, man, I just, I, I don't want to be a part of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, so like, yeah, you, you talk about like pressure, like walking in and meeting those judges for the first time. So my judges were Chris Santos, Scott Conan and Manit Shohan, which oh. that's who I'm working for now. Right. Yeah. So we can get that in a little bit too. Absolutely. But these are people who I've seen on TV like millions of times. Like I've watched Chopped so many times since I was a kid, since I was in culinary school, since I was in high school, I've been watching Chopped. You know, there's like almost 60 seasons of that show at this point. That's crazy, and man. Yeah. And so my season was like 58 or like 57. Yeah. Wow. It was crazy. And like, I was like, man, I have really been watching the show for a while. And to be on that set, to see these judges and, like, they do have them, like, seated a little bit higher, so it's, like, a little bit intimidating when you walk in. Like, they right. are, like, kind of staring down at you. But I remember just, like, being so – I remember – because, like, at that point, I was working corporate. Right, right. Corporate chef. And one of the biggest things <clears throat> I had to prove on that show – and I said this. I said, you know, a big part of me is I've been in corporate dining for four or five – for, like, the last five years – and there are these chefs that have worked for like Michelin star chefs that have been like, you know, they've, they, they have worked for like, you know, James Beard awards and stuff like that. And like, I'm like, yeah, I cook for a university, you know? <laughs> and so there was a part of me that was like, do I belong here? Right. And so I remember like when I won that first episode, spoiler alert. Um, I should yeah, have, I should have, I should have the sound button. Yeah. <laughs> spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, but I remember, that was one of the things I said. I said, um, you know, being here and winning it, I think I said something along the lines of like, it makes me feel like I still got it. Yeah. You know, I can still, I can still do it. And then, you know, the finale, I got chopped in the entree round. And I remember when I was walking off, Chris Santos looks at me and he's like, Hey Ruben. And I look back, it was kind of like a movie scene and it wasn't <laughs> recorded. I remember like, it wasn't being recorded. I remember he's like, Hey Ruben. I look back and he's like, you still got it, man. <laughs> I remember like walking away and being like, gosh, that's awesome. I, I that's do amazing. still got it. Yeah. I mean, just to even be, I mean, it's like, I hear a lot of times when people get onto these shows, because I had a friend who was on Hell's Kitchen as well. 
um, uh, Deneen Giordano, she was on, I can't remember what season, 138 season, right? And she yeah. got she got cut pretty early by Gordon Ramsay. And I was just like, what was that like to be involved in that and just on that show? And, you know, it's the same thing all the time. It's just like, I, I know I was good enough to make it onto the show. I may not have won and I may have gotten cut from this, but like the fact that my skill set took me to this point and got me to this point, like now people know who I am, you know, like I'm, I am involved in the scene now. So did you feel like that when you got cut? Like, was it the same kind of feeling? I mean, obviously you were probably bummed yeah. about it, but you know, not making it farther, I, but you know. I was bummed, but I knew like the other three competitors that were on that finale. And even like with the one from my episode, like everyone that I competed with had a chance to win the whole thing. Right. No doubt in my mind. It was like minor mistakes and like anyone that competed on that show was more than capable of winning the whole thing. Um, Paco, who did win, definitely came out with something to prove. Like he yeah. was like, I'm here to win. I'm here. He's like, I can like, he was the guy that they portrayed as like the villain on the show. <laughs> we always <laughs> made fun of him. Cause it was like, he's like, I can cook circles around these guys. And we would always say that in our group chat. <laughs> <laughs> you can cook circles around this hot pot um, <laughs> I'm gonna hold you to that. I heard you say it, goddammit, and I'm not never uh, let it go. Well he won, so he yeah. did he did for it. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean again, like it's it's just it's amazing to see, you know, watching that trajectory. Cause I think we had met shortly before you were on Chopped. And then you get on Chopped, yeah. and then I start to see the the wheel spinning for you in Delaware. And I remember you were uh, up until very recently. You were doing a lot of, you know, I don't want to say pop-up events, but they were like, you know, hey, we're coming, we're making like a handful of dishes and you have to sign up and register in advance. And I felt like every time I went to register in advance, you would sell out of something so quickly. Like, was that cool to be able to parlay that and then to start to build that name in Delaware for yourself? Like, what, what did that feel like? Yeah, you know, I have been obviously part of the Delaware food scene for so long. And after this show hit, it was kind of crazy to be one of the most talked about people in Delaware for like a month. Right. Like I wasn't used to it. And even like after the, after the show aired, I remember like I would get noticed in like bars. Like I would go out and be like, Oh my gosh, you're the guy from Chop. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> you're outside your napkin. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah, it was super cool to like parlay that into like the business side of it and start to make some money and like just do cool, creative stuff, man. Um, doing food I've always wanted to do and, and, you know, definitely getting back to my roots, which was a big reason for going on the show. Yeah. I mean, it just one of the things too, it always looked like you were having fun. And I feel yeah. like what I like so much about when I see your posts and I see the stuff that you're talking about and all the things you're sharing, it just looks like you're having a really good time. You're just having a blast. And does that help Mac? Like, does that help keep the energy and the spark alive? Because I know a lot of people like, you know, I, I do photography and I know a lot of other people who do music and all kinds of other things. Sometimes people lose that spark because it becomes a job. Has cooking and, and preparing food become a job for you? Or is it still as, does it still light your fires like it used to? You know, that's, that's a really great question. Ruben, thank um, you. That's what we do here on Foundation Radio. We ask the know, questions, man. That's what we do. You ask, you ask the hard-hitting questions, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is, though, because, like, I tell people this, right? Like, uh, as a creative person, I think one of the things we struggle with as creatives is keeping that spark alive. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes, especially when it's your job to be creative, it's very easy to get burnt out. 
Uh, a chef once told me, he said, you don't have to love what you do for work, but you have to work to do what you love. Right. And so I've taken that to heart. And like, once something starts to become kind of gets to that point where I feel like I'm not happy anymore, I know I need to start thinking about the next move. Um, and so, yeah, I, I feel like recently, especially so just backing up a little bit. So the big reason for me going on chopped was because I wanted to work for Manit Shohan. Mm. That was like, I had been so far away from my heritage and my culture. I stayed away from Indian cooking my whole career. And once COVID hit, I wanted to get back to it. So that was the big reason for going on to work with her. Um, and now that I am working with her, uh, I have felt so inspired by what I can do with Indian food. And so, mm. yeah, that has definitely helped keep that fire and that spark alive. If you don't make me ask it, I, I, I know we sort of briefly talked about this, like in just in a, in a personal setting, but like, is there a reason why you stayed away from the Indian cuisine when you were starting to cook? Is there a, is there a, any particular reason why that happened? Yeah. I mean, straight up, it was because I didn't want to be the Indian guy that cooked curry. I mean, that was like the big thing. I didn't want to be a stereotype. I didn't mm. want to be handcuffed to like one cuisine. Right. And I'm happy I, I made that choice early on. I, I do wish I, I had, I, you know, I don't have any regrets, but it would have been nice to realize earlier that coming back to my roots would have been the best thing for me. And um, do you think Chopped helped facilitate that as well? It sounds like it, that was like the catalyst for you to jump into it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, so like even like before that, like COVID was, I would say, the big part of it. Mm-hmm. And then I did like the public access cooking show in Delaware, Ruben's Indian Kitchen, which I did is like a reason to like force myself into doing Indian food. I mean, I, I did it so I could force my brain into thinking about Indian recipes and foods and flavors and ingredients and doing my research on it and everything. And then, yeah, so Chopped happened. And then like, as soon as my episode aired, Chef Mini reached out via Instagram. And then like this whole thing happened. And yeah, she has been the best, everything I've ever wanted in a boss and a mentor. That's amazing. That's amazing, man. And now I know you're, like I said, we talked about this at the beginning of the episode, tying it back in a circle. What we do here, you're down in Nashville now. And Nashville is a, a super cool city, right? And somebody who's born and raised in the Philadelphia area, you go to Nashville and it's just a, it's a, it's different. It's a different experience. It's a little bit slower. It's a little bit more, I don't want to say methodical, but like, it's like, if you've been there and you've experienced the South, it's very different. Was it a culture shock as far as from a, a food standpoint going down there to Nashville? And tell me more about the experiences that you had inside of the culinary world down there. Yeah. And that interesting question, because I think, being from Delaware, I think I had always looked at Nashville as like one of the big food cities mm. and a big food destination city. And after being here, it definitely holds up to that. Yeah. Um, but I also realized like, oh, I got friends and I got chef friends in Delaware that are just as good as some of these chefs, if, if not better. And so it made me realize like it doesn't matter where you're from or where you're cooking. Like if you're good at cooking, you're good at cooking. Right. Like, don't compare yourself to, like, all these other people that are out there. Like, if you're good at what you do and people realize that, then you're good at what you do across the board, not just where you're at. And so I think the culture shock was more of realizing that I can hang with some of these people, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I still got it, you know? <laughs> Tie it back, pal. We're using, we're using the catchphrase This is here. what we do here. That's what we do, pal. That's why we're here. So tell me more. I mean, you've had an opportunity. You've been there for a couple months now. 
Um, has it been a year yet? Actually, I may be, my time is all no. fucked up, man. It's, I've had a, a little, uh, another baby. So like every day is it blends oof. together. So yeah. Yeah. I moved here in January. Oh, okay. This year. So it's been, been about six, uh, seven, I've been months. Here for seven months. Yeah. Six months getting turned, like finishing my six month here. Has there been a food that's specific to Nashville that you've tried and that you were apprehensive to try and you were like, fuck, this is delicious. And conversely, mm. Has there been something that you were like, oh, I bet that's banging. And then you had it and you were like, this is quite frankly, the worst thing I've ever eaten. You know, that's a good question. I don't know about the first part. Uh, if there's been a food that's been like, oh my gosh, but I can definitely answer the second part. <laughs> and I can tell you this. Uh, I Nashville hot chicken, I know is like a thing, right? Mm-hmm. People talk about Nashville hot chicken. Nashville hot chicken to me is like the Philadelphia cheesesteak. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. I think, I think the cheesesteak is so highly overrated and I think people give it way too much credit. A good cheesesteak is a good cheesesteak. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. And like princess hot chicken, delicious. I love that. Right. But to me, it's just kind of overhyped and overplayed. Everyone's like, oh, you got to go to Hattie B's. I went to Hattie B's. It was trash. <laughs> like, I was like, this is not good hot chicken. It was oh, like- Gino was in past. That's what trash. I'm saying, dude. It's a gimmick, right? Like to tie it back to pro wrestling terms, it's a fucking gimmick. Like I went, I was down there in 2018 and I went with a colleague to Hattie B's and the piece of chicken I had was like overdone. It was like over fried in certain areas. And there was so much of whatever they put on it that it was practically inedible. And it was like, I shouldn't be dying in this experience, right? I should not be this overwhelmed by eating this particular food. And it really is. Like, that's a great analogy. It's really a lot like going to Geno's or Pat's. Geno's is this big fucking obnoxious, like flashy lights, in your face, obnoxious bullshit. And then you eat it and you're like, wow, this is cardboard with slime on it. This is fucking nasty. Yeah, I mean, and there's good cheesesteaks. I mean, right. we've had good steaks. Like, you know, shout out to Angelo's and like D'Alessandro's. Like, there's some good steaks. Shout out to Cleaver's too. Cleaver's, I feel like, is my one of my favorite spots in the entire city. But like, I just, I felt like, I felt disappointed. And again, it was like, it was that same thing in my head. It's a lot like when, when I lived in Pittsburgh. It was like going to, uh, what the hell is the name with the fries on the Pramonti Brothers was the same thing. I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is just, it's not, I I don't need this kind of experience. What I did enjoy though, was the barbecue scene. I went to Martin's barbecue. Um, I think that was down I haven't been there yet. Oh man, that was really, really good. Yeah. Which one, which ones have you tried down there? Barbecue? Mm Mm-hmm. Or just, I haven't tried a lot of barbecue down here. Um, I've been more, so there's a Nashville famous chef, Sean Brock. And he has a concept called the Continental, which just happens to be a half mile away from work. So I can just walk there sometimes. And um, it's a cool little steakhouse, really great oysters. The oyster sets are usually really nice. Although I will say one of my favorite places to eat in Nashville is this place called Big Al's Deli. Mm. And Big Al is this older black man, super cool, like super chill, very like he's a character. Um, so big thing down in the South are meat and threes. Okay. Which is exactly what it sounds like, meat and three sides. Yep. So they do meat and two. And his fried pork chops, man. Oh. <laughs> ridiculous. Wow. And he and he one of his sides that I always get are the skillet beans. It's like spicy, sweet. Dude, big owls. And it's like 17 bucks, and you get enough food for like 
Two people. <laughs> Dude, that sounds like my kind of party, man. That's that's yeah, that's where I want to be, man. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's 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 always. I feel like it's the same thing in Philadelphia and in Pittsburgh. When you go to these places, you go to these cities, you find these little pockets. You know, like Pamela's Diner is a great example of something that is like regional, specific to the Pittsburgh area. But when you find it, you're like, holy shit, this is amazing, right? Like everything yeah. on that menu slaps, right? And I feel like that's really where you're going to discover the real taste and the real feel of a local area. That's where I feel like you can you can really identify what's there. So I'm excited to hear that you're finding so much excitement down there in uh, in Nashville in the in the food. Um, now you've been you, you're jumping around to Airbnbs. You're saying, tell me yeah, about this process. So, so big big announcement happened yesterday. So I can finally talk. I I had to hide why I was doing the Airbnb thing. Uh, so pretty much there's a project that we're opening up down in Disney Springs that was just announced yesterday called Eat, E-E-T by Manit Shohan. Uh, and so that's where I'm going to be um, essentially in the next couple months. I'll be moving down to Orlando and heading up that project. Uh, but the Airbnb thing, man, it's it was cool for a little bit, but I feel like I'm getting to this sixth month and like, not having the sense of home has kind of been like, man, I'd want to just hang up some art on my walls, you know? Like, <laughs> I just want to put a picture of the tribal look. chief up on the wall for fuck's sake, man. I just want to look at something. <laughs> you know, there's not some white walls in here. It's feeling very much um, like Tom Hanks in the terminal, right? I would imagine just totally yeah. displaced everywhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, that's super dope though, man. Like I'm, I'm excited yeah. for you. Congratulations. It's well-deserved. Tell me more. Are you allowed to discuss more about it? Like, tell me more about the project itself. <laughs> I mean, so really it's going to be a modern Indian uh, concept that's going to be in Disney Springs, which is a huge deal. Yeah. Huge deal. I mean, like Disney is no joke. They're, they're a Fortune 50 company, you know. They're huge. I had to, keep, I had to sign so many NDAs and oh. I couldn't talk about it for seven months. Longer than that. Wow. I couldn't talk about it with anybody. Not even at work I could talk about it. Wow. They'll be like, why are you staying in Airbnbs? I was like, oh, I'm just trying to figure out the area, you know? Like, <laughs> I like being transient. What? Leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> which which I will say takes off a lot of pressure. Like when I move down to Orlando, I'm probably going to do an Airbnb for two months. That's smart. Get it's yourself situated. Yeah. Situated, figure out where's a good place to live and like, you know, try to find a good area and, and it's also fully furnished. I don't have to do that. You know what I mean? I can yeah. find a place and then go get a couch and a bed and that kind of thing. And your tribal chief photo, which you can put on the wall, which again, we're recording at sure. 8.34 PM. I want to make sure you've acknowledged your tribal chief, uh, your tribal chief uh, in this hour of the evening, sir. Oh, Jay, you're so yeah. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you for saying that. I, I mean, we got to talk wrestling for a little bit. Cause that's, that's originally how we yeah. linked up here. How are you feeling about the bloodline? How are you feeling about the story progression? And then we'll oh, talk about man. the real tribal chief, Jay Uso. Uh, I think it's the best storyline in wrestling right now. I mean, if not like the last 15 years, yeah, I can't think of another storyline that has held this much consistency for the last three years. Really? And it's crazy that it's been three years. I remember talking about this with you during like the, uh, what do they call it? The Thunderdome era. I remember us like texting mm-hmm. and, and messaging and being like, oh man, this is fucking great. Like it's so good. Yeah. And Roman Reigns is finally a heel. And it's like, it's such a testament to the way that they're telling the story and the freedoms that they're giving them. Were you angry when Cody Rhodes lost at WrestleMania? I, I, I wasn't. I mean, I think everybody kind of assumed he was going to win. So I think they had to do some sort of 
swerve. Right. Um, and I don't think his story is over yet. I, Freddie Prince Jr. and Chris Van Vliet had a, had a bit. Did you hear them talk about like, Freddie Prince Jr. says like he heard like a theory of like what they're going to do with Cody. No. What did he say? And, like, pretty much like they're going to, they're, they're trying to like break him down so they can build him up like they did Dusty Rhodes. Oh, and, like, bring yeah. Him, yeah, yeah. Like and bring what, him back. And then yeah. next year at WrestleMania, he'll get the strap is what. Interesting. Freddie Prince Jr.'s theory is. Well, then let me, let me ask you a question because you brought that up. Do you think that then. Because it seems like what's going to happen, because it hasn't been announced yet, and it may not be announced by the time you're listening to this episode, which is Tuesday. Do you think that uh, Jay Uso beats Roman Reigns for the title at SummerSlam? Man, I I can't see anybody else taking taking the belt right now. Right. Uh, or in I the mean, future. Who else is left? Yeah. Who else is really left? I mean, honestly, it's... I mean, I guess you could argue that Jay wins it and then Damian Priest maybe comes out and, like, cashes in. Uh, it's, it's possible. I just – initially, I really felt some kind of way about Cody not winning. And I think that was just the fan in me being like, Jesus Christ, they built this storyline for an entire year and didn't pay it off. And now when I look back at it retroactively, I'm like, fuck, that was – that was the right move, wasn't it? Because now Jay feels like the right person to take the title. I don't know. I, I, I what are, where do they go after this if Jay doesn't win? I think is my question. That's really where I'm where yeah. I'm stuck on. I was also okay with them maybe pulling pulling the trigger and giving it to Sammy too as yeah. like a trans- transitional champion. But I think it was the right move to get Roman to a thousand days. Yeah, yeah. Give him um, that milestone. That Absolutely the right move. And now it's like, all right, now you're breaking him down. Now you're showing him weak and like now you're showing some of the cracks. Uh, yeah, I think I think he has to be the one to take the belt. I do. I don't, again, I don't see any other way around not doing that at this point because again, it's like how, again, and, I, and we say, I feel like I say this all the time is like how much more can you say in the story and then they do something incredible, right? But it just after, after Money in the Bank and the fact that Jay pinned him in the middle of the ring not you know, not for a title or anything. He just fucking he nailed it right there. Um, I just feel like it's the right move. But then you know, what the fuck do I know? We're just we're just two guys bullshitting about just, wrestling. We just watch the just, show, right? Yeah, we're just we're just fans. <laughs> now I want to ask you one more question here. Um, I want to talk about your girlfriend. I've been seeing yes. her a lot on your social media, and I want you to hype her up here because that's what we do. We hype people up here, sir. So yeah, I want to give you the floor to talk uh, about her. Tell me about her. Um, she's incredible. Um, it, 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 it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Excellent reference, sir. Well done, sir. Oh, well done to you. Uh, uh, yeah, she's amazing. Um, she's a musician, um, really talented musician, Atlas Kelly music, cheap plug. Uh, look her up. <laughs> we'll plug her check in the show notes for you. We'll plug her in the show yeah, notes check, for sure. Check, Check, check her single out notice. It's on all streaming platforms uh, featuring Mono Neon on bass. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, she's honestly the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, I have never been happier. It's someone that is super creative that I think is really great. And, you know, we're just kind of seeing where it goes, you know, not, not really, um, 
you know, I think, you know, a lot can change obviously, but like, I think like she's someone that's super creative and I admire a lot. And like the best part about our relationship is that we're just genuinely fans of each other. That's great, man. That's awesome. We're fans of each other's work. So, and it's all, it's, I feel like it's, there's, there's something about a creative being with a creative in a relationship sense, because I feel like in a lot of ways, like the same thing with my wife, like she's a, she's an artist and you know, I do this and the photography. I feel like when we talk about our art and we talk about, you know, our passions and, and the, the creative sides of us, it, it feels like it's almost like, not, not, I don't want to say it's like a one-up upsmanship or anything like that, but it's almost like I'm doing my best work to impress her. And I, and I know that she's doing her best work to impress me. Do you yes. feel that dynamic with your, with your girlfriend when you do things? hundred percent, yeah. man. hundred percent. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just, I can't really I mean, be, I could go on for like a whole other hour if I, if I really wanted. <laughs> well, listen, we got a little bit more time. You could talk about it, but it's it's cool. Like it's <laughs> it's 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 nice to know that that's not just us that do that. But also, again, it feels like I'm it's it's bringing out the best in what I do, and I feel mm-hmm. like that is kind of my my litmus test for everything is how she feels about it. If I take a photograph and I'm like, "Fuck, this is so dope," and this looks great, and she gives me one of those, meh, and I'm like, "Okay, I'm not gonna scrap it. I'm gonna burn the negative, and it's gonna be done forever." So. Um, I feel like that, 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 it's amazing to hear that it's the same thing for you. Yeah. So she has a really bad gluten allergy, mm. um, like, like pretty severe. So one of the best things I have been able to work on are some gluten-free celiac friendly recipes. Nice. So I remember I made this, this gluten-free focaccia. We just went on like a trip to Florida and I made this gluten-free focaccia and I was like, this might be one of the best gluten-free things I've ever had in my life. I was like, but she's going to have to be the judge of that. <laughs> you know, like for me, this tastes like a really good piece of focaccia and doesn't taste like it's gluten-free at all. And she had it and she was like, dude, this is the best gluten-free thing I've ever had. And I was like, I did my Tiger Woods. <laughs> yeah. just in the air, you know? <laughs> I understood that reference, sir. I love it, man. That's amazing, dude. Yeah. Now I want to ask one more question, you know, as we tie up the episode here, um, guys who cry podcast, I know that's, that's where yes. I was on you and Adam, uh, do the show together. Is that something that's still happening? Is that something that is still like it's in limbo right now? Because the reason I ask is because, and the reason that I did the show when you invited me to come on is because I loved the message of what you guys did so much. You broke down and, and allowed me to have a space where I could be vulnerable. You know, when we were talking about things that are considered tox- toxic masculinity yeah. and, you know, all these really wonderful safe spaces that you allowed, not just me, but all of your guests and the, the stuff that you guys did together. I thought it was wonderful and I, and I truly believed in that message. Is that something that you two are going to continue now that you're sort of far apart? What's the, what's the story there? You know, I do. So I, I have hope, a little, like a little bit of hope that once I get settled in Orlando that I can create like a little mini studio and like we can, we can start the podcast up again. Cause I, it was honestly some, some, some of the, the most proudest I've ever been of, of, of some of my work. Um, I felt like there were, one of my favorite episodes, I was just telling Liz, my girlfriend, this, um, one of my favorite episodes was we had on Lucas, who had just transitioned, mm. and uh, the name of the pod, the name of the episode was Thanks for Coming to My Trans Talk. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I remember telling her, I was like, it's my favorite episode because I was able to ask questions that I felt comfortable to ask in that setting. 
And like, it's, it's, it's a lot of like great questions that like, you know, a lot of people wonder, but they don't know if it's going to offend somebody when you ask these questions and to, and Lucas, great person to have on the podcast. They were incredible. Uh, I was so happy to have them on and um, so open and honest. Uh, and it was really great. And that's what I miss about the show. I miss having those opportunities. We talked about a lot of things. Like I would love to be able to talk about Jonah Hill. Oh yeah. Well, why don't yeah, we talk about it here? It. Let's talk about it here. Since we have the, the opportunity, we have a couple more minutes to chat. Tell me about your feelings about the Jonah Hill uh, texting issue. Man, I, it's, it's a shame, right? Because he was a big champion for men's mental health mm-hmm. um, and therapy and all of that stuff. And not discrediting that at all and what sure. he did for that. Um, but reading those text messages, I was like, man, that is somebody who is very intimidated by his partner. Um, I mean, to tell them what they should be posting on their social media and what they shouldn't. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that at all. That doesn't work for me, Um, brother. Yeah. That's uh... a And like, you know, it's probably why you were trying to turn in the first place. Yeah. She's a surfer. She's going to be wearing bikinis. It's what she does. It's her entire fucking job, man. I don't, I just, it felt so, it disappointing is the right word, but it also felt like really short-sighted. It felt like it was like, I don't know. It, it, it felt very controlling. It felt very demeaning to read those messages and, and to know that that was the space that he was in and that whatever was going on in his brain made him feel like it was appropriate to say those things. And I think that really sticks for me. You know, it's the fact that it's like, bro, she's not your object, right? Like she's not, it's not, you don't get to decide what she does and what she doesn't do on social media. And the fact you hit it right on the head when you were like, oh, well she, uh, you know, she's a surfer and that's what she had. She had been fucking been posting that stuff for years before she met, she met him. And then they get, he, that's how he links up with her. It's like, I, I just, it's mind boggling. I, I just don't understand. And, and, and it's honestly kind of scary too, cause I know. And like, it's funny. Cause like now I look back on some of my previous relationships and realize like, man, I, some of that stuff happened to me. Like some of that stuff happened where like I, people were using therapy speak against me and yeah. like, and like, I'm, you know, I think therapy is a really great tool. I think it's really important. Um, I, you know, I've been fortunate enough that like, I, you know, I feel like I've done a lot of work on myself and been able to create safe spaces for people the last couple of years, especially I felt like I've been in this space where I can provide that for a lot of people. And be able to give good advice, um, unsolicited or not. Uh, but like, I, it's, it's very scary to see people weaponizing therapy and like the language used in therapy against people. You know, it's, it's scary. Well, it's, it, that's what I was going to say. I had a, we had a conversation last week with Amanda Savage when we were actually talking about Jay Uso and, and the, and the storyline of the, the bloodline and how, you know, Jay is trying to escape from the narcissistic abuser that is Roman Reigns. And like, mm. it's, it's a great episode. If you haven't checked it out, you can also listen. If you're listening to this, when you're done, go, go back an episode and listen to that conversation with Amanda Savage. It's fucking fantastic. But anyway, it's, she had the same kind of commentary where it was just like, 
it's like not every situation is facilitated or is is quantified by using that language in those situations, right? Like not everybody's situation is narcissistic. Not everybody is being gaslit. And she's like, it's almost like there's a lot of that weaponization of those words. And not that I would ever tell or, or she would ever tell anyone what their specific situation was like. In this specific instance, this is a great example of somebody bastardizing and utilizing this language that is supposed to be helpful for people and instead turning it around and being like, oh, well, you know, you're not respecting my boundaries because you are going out with three women and, you know, that are less than reputable or whatever the fuck. You know, it's just like, yeah. it's, it's concerning to see that. And I think it's, it's almost like it's becoming a trend in a lot of ways. You're seeing a lot of these things on social media and especially on Elmo's Hellscape app anymore. It's like people are just, they're not being, it's, you're right, like they're weaponizing it. And it's just, it's unfortunate. Unfortunate. Yeah. Dude, so, we have to talk about one more thing. Though. Of course, man. We have of to course. talk about the hottest thing in wrestling right now. Let's hear it. You're going to say Dirty Dom, aren't you? Oh, L.A. Knight. Yeah. The I hottest mean, fucking thing in wrestling right now. Who would have thought that somebody who's pretty much Stone Cold and The Rock combined would be so over? Yeah. I mean. It's crazy, man crazy I mean, and, and like to be fair like there's been a lot of people who came over from that other company tna that you know had every opportunity like eli when he was eli drake he was pretty good he was yeah. the champion over there yeah you know it's I mean, um, samoa joe well that's, that's what i'm saying samoa like i i think samoa joe uh during the time when he was with brock lesnar and they were having that program. I think it was like 2016 or 2017. Mm-hmm. I will forever believe that that was one of the biggest ball droppings in the history of that company in the, in the 2010s and like the modern wrestling era, right? Samoa Joe was white fucking hot at that moment. Samoa Joe was the guy who could take on and beat Brock Lesnar. And I feel like when they didn't pull the trigger on that, I felt like that was a mistake. And I felt like Samoa Joe never really recovered from that. Um, well, he also was always recovering, though. <laughs> well, that's the thing is he was always injured, and now he's like, you know, but I feel like at that time it was like, okay, well, he's here. He's got these incredible programs. I mean, even when he was commentating, he was still cutting better promos than 95% yeah. of the locker room. And it's like, holy shit, like, how did not, how did this not happen? And I, I, I tend to agree with that analysis is that Samoa Joe just kept, you know, the injuries really did plague him and, and, and put him in a bad space. But um, no, I agree. I mean, it's like, Watching the natural progression of the way that LA Knight is becoming this huge megastar, it feels a lot like the Attitude Era, right? It feels a lot like the way that Rock's progression went, how he just naturally got over with the crowd. And I, you know, I know there's been conversation about Kevin Nash and and the things that he said about LA Knight and copying and this, that, and the other. And like everybody copies from everybody. It's just like music, right? Like nothing is original. Everybody pulls from from different, you know, photography, everything. Like, nothing's yeah, original, I mean- right? Dom is literally rocking the same haircut as as Eddie Guerrero right now. He, like, right. It's all like playing into that whole like is he is he Eddie's son or not? Right, and I mean it's like it's it's so some of the things are so on the nose that it's like it's impossible to see anything other than that, like with the, the dirty Dom haircut. But I I really feel like the LA night stuff is it okay? So maybe you could you could say that like yeah, it's a, it's a it's a combination of what Stone Cold. And The Rock did. But what he's doing is so good and he's doing it at such a great level that it doesn't even matter. He's getting over. He was the fourth highest merch seller in the company last month. 
above the fucking NWO. Like, who is consistently selling merch at a high level, right? Even, you know, almost 30 years later. And I, I think, it's, I think it's, a, it's a mistake to ignore him. But I will say as my final question to you, sir, who does LA Knight beat for his very first title outside of the million, million dollar championship, of course, inside of WWE? Also theory. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that has to be the move. That has to be the move. I think it's Austin to- Theory is just not getting over. He's not the next John Cena. No. They thought he was. Give it tonight. Let him let him run with the championship. Maybe take it to Mania, lose it at Mania, and then win win a, win, a, win like one of the big titles at SummerSlam. I was uh, again. It was one of those things where I was I was a little upset about him not winning Money in the Bank, but I can see now why they didn't do that because they have other plans for him. And I think and he, that he doesn't need it. No. I think that's going to be a great program because I do think that either Finn Balor or Damian Priest is going to win the big gold 2.0. And then I think LA Knight's going to be involved in that and that's going to be a huge program. I think that's where he's going to take it to the next level. But no, I, uh, I agree. I think, uh, I think LA Knight needs, as my wife hates when I say this because I say it all the time, but they need to put a fucking rocket on his back and, and send him to the moon at this point because he's just, he's way over, man. So I'm glad way. we're- I'm glad we're thinking on the same page here, Ruben. I appreciate it. And I, I appreciate you coming on the show. I know we've been back and forth about this with everything that's been going on and, and it's not, it's, you know, life got in the way. I, I love getting a chance to talk to you. I love everything that you're doing and I'm so proud to see all of these things coming together for you. Where can everybody find you on social media and keep up to date with the new project you have going on and everything else you have uh, in the pipeline? Yeah, you can see me at CurryKilla with an A00 on Instagram. And then you can follow along with the restaurants, uh, eat at Shohan. And the other one is going to, I don't know what the name of that, of the new project's Instagram name is off the top of my head yet. I think it's like Eat for Fun or something like that. E-E-T for fun with periods in between the the the, uh, the names. But yeah, man, it's it's going to be a busy couple months. And I everyone, I implore everyone to check it out. Well, Ruben, again, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time, and I'm look forward, looking forward to having you back on again. Thanks so much, man. Heck yeah, man. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. Foundation Radio is hosted, recorded, and produced by Adam Barnard. Additional production and narration provided by Sam Kreps. The show was mixed and engineered by Carl Pinnell. Our intro and outro music was performed and produced by Dumb Ugly. Additional musical accompaniment provided by Enrichment. Special thanks to Greg Mead, Joe Keen, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Elmy. Follow us on Twitter at FND Radio Pod and find our entire archive at foundationradio.net. This has been a Butts Carlton Media Production. Butts Carlton, proprietor.